0: So uh, we're finishing up on the series of the Fruit of the Spirit, and it's been a really great um, time of just reflecting on what it means to bear fruit when we're abiding in Christ. And we've learned so much of how through being in Christ that these nine virtues of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that they should naturally pour out of us as a tree naturally bears fruit if it's healthy. And the last virtue we're going to talk about today is is self-control, and it's not exempt from the truth that we've been talking about these whole couple of weeks about being, abiding in Christ, that it's completely, utterly dependent upon that. And um I just want us to go over the verse one last time if we can read it together. Galatians five twenty two and twenty-three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And I was while I was reading the passage over again. I was just praying Lord, how what can I reveal differently it it 's no different it 's one fruit, and you 're one God, and there 's only one holy spirit and so there 's really nothing more to emphasize that hasn 't already been spoken about and so God kind of put some heavy uh, thoughts and gave my eyes um, some focus on the latter part, not just the self control but on the area in the, back, in the back of the verse where it says, against such things there is no law. And when you read the rest of the list of the virtues, like love, joy, peace, patience, and all of that, they sound really wonderful. It just makes sense that if you have the characteristic and and the 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 image of Jesus is coming through you, those things should come naturally, but it kind of, the the last one, self control, kind of sticks up like a sore thumb for me, or at least it did in the beginning. Because if you if you see the rest of Galatians, if you read it from the beginning all the way up to chapter six, it's it's a short letter that Paul had written to the church of Galatia. It just stands out even more odd that that self control is in there because the. The book of Galatians is sometimes called the Magna Carta of Christian living. Because Paul goes on and on about how we, if we believe in Christ and in his work on the cross, that we are free from the law. That this book um, was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther was absolutely all about it. And Luther saw that Paul was regarding salvation by grace through faith and faith alone. And that this faith in Jesus was indispensable foundation of Christian life and conduct. And for Paul, it was freedom from the Mosaic law. But for Luther, it was freedom from buying your way out of purgatory. If Galatians could be described as a movie character, Um, I imagine Mel Gibson, with his face painted half blue, yelling out, freedom! (laughs) So it seems just slightly odd to read faith is the basis of righteousness, and Abraham was considered righteous because of his faith, and... We receive the spirit and the promise of Abraham because we are justified by faith and there's freedom in Christ and there's freedom and freedom and freedom and all of a sudden it describes one of the virtues of the fruit of the spirit and self-control. I don't know about you, but it just seemed when I first read it, like that Paul was contradicting himself. Like what was all of that freedom that came right before that? I thought the whole thing about Galatians is about being free in Christ, right? Because what do you think of when you think of self-control? I immediately went to the laundry list of things that I shouldn't do. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this. And that's no different from the Mosaic Law. You see, what was happening in the Church of Galatia at the time is, I need to share with you a little bit of the context of what was happening, why Paul even wrote this, was it's not it wasn't just an isolated event that happened in that specific church of Galatia it, w- it was happening in the other churches as well and specifically in the in the new uh, churches um, of the Christian uh, I'm sorry the new Christian churches that was that was being created by the the newly converted uh, Jewish um, disciples and apostles it unfortunately still happens to the churches even today. So what was happening is when first the Jews, the Jewish disciples and apostles went out to declare that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus had died for us on the cross, they first went out to the other Jews. And so they had an underlying understanding. They understood what they had to change about themselves. They understood what they had to give up in order to become a Christian. It wasn't, it wasn't very difficult to navigate that. They had the same values. They had the same priorities. They, they knew what lifestyle they had to learn and to live, but the problem came when the apostles and the disciples decided to open up churches, not only to the Jews, but to the rest of the nation, because that's what Jesus told them to do, to go out to the rest of the world. So the gospel was spread to the Gentiles. And because the gospel was for everyone and to go out into all the world, there was kind of a, a little confusion. There was a lot of questions. How do you do church with Gentiles and Jews in the same church? Was Christianity welcoming only to those who were willing to stay inside of the Judaic traditions? Was performing the Mosaic laws necessary? What about circumcision? What, what, um, because these, uh, these, these laws, these lifestyles wasn't just um, moral values for them. For the Jews, it represented their identity as a people group. It was their identity in their faith. And for the Jewish people, their identity was so deeply rooted on their faith in Christ that it was really quite impossible to see that faith could happen and be practiced outside of the, this Judaic law context. So soon after the Christian churches had been established, some conservative Jewish leaders started to teach that circumcision had to be kept to be a Christian that you had to practice the same dietary restrictions that they had. And basically, you had to keep the law to be saved. Or what we would define as legalism. But Paul hears about what's going on in the Church of Galatia, for example, here. And he goes on this tirade of freedom. No, you're getting it all wrong. This freedom was... Obviously, when you think of freedom, is we think of the obvious sins. Jesus Christ died for us, and he died for our freedom. And you think the obvious ways of our flesh, the ways of our, of our desires, right? We got freedom from old habits and patterns of sin and bondage. In Galatians 5, 19, 21, even in the Bible, it says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy. And it goes on and on and it says, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this was what the law was trying to control or wipe away without much success. It was impossible, quite honestly. Unless you kept all the law you would not be considered righteous. If you did 99.9% of it, but you missed the .01%, you would still be considered unrighteous. But Paul goes on deeper into what this freedom was also for, not just all of the obvious ways of the flesh, but in other ways as too. In Galatians 5.26, it says, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And those don't necessarily seem as obvious. See, what Paul was doing here was he was including the Jews. See, Jesus gave you freedom for all of the things that you know about, all of the obvious things. But all of you who are pointing at other people, this is for you too. This freedom is for you. For Paul, the flesh wasn't just limited to sensuality, the obvious sins that the legalistic Jews would have accused the Gentiles for. But rather the flesh manifested itself in that Galatian church, and sometimes even in churches today, as religious rebellion in the form of self-righteousness. It's a little heavy, so I want to talk to you about a, a story. <coughs> so when I was younger, <clears throat> about like Aubrey's age, I have a younger sister too. And I don't know about how you guys fight, but my sister and I, we were only two years apart, but I don't know why, we, we fought like cats and dogs. We didn't do the usual like, like that kind of fighting, like we, we, we shed blood. Like there, there had to, we had to see red in order for the fight to end, and so my mother, getting tired of all of the the, the usual forms of punishment, thought that she was really smart, and I think so too. But uh, what she did was she made us hug each other for ten minutes straight. So it was you just had to hug it out, and she put a timer, so we had to hug, hug there. And we would be grumbling because our heads are right next to each other, like, oh it was your fault, it's your fault. No, I hate you, I hate you. Right? It's like the grumbling keep continues like five minutes in. And then, but uh, by the time it's like seven minutes, like we're so bored. We're like just so what are we gonna do after this? I don't know. you I'm kinda hungry, like maybe we can pray. Like, we just start talking again. And then by the time it's ten minutes. We already forgot about why we were fighting and we're over it. And so it was really smart of my mother. Like she it's like two birds with one stone, like basically like she got a break from us fighting and then so and then we we worked it out. And so it was her law, her rule, so that we can deal with the strife and the struggle that we had with for what <coughs> with one another. You see, during the times of pre-Christ, the law was the only way to deal with flesh. And that was the old order of things. But with Christ, there's a new order of freedom. And that's where the self-control comes in. What? That doesn't make sense. The whole purpose and the intention of the law was to help the people learn how to keep the ultimate command that God had given them. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And because of our natural sinful nature, we weren't able to be in the presence of all holy God. And we weren't able to express this love for one another in the way that God wanted us to. Without these rigid guidelines, we were doomed to destruction and death to ourselves, to God, to one another. Now, this is where self-control comes in. If the old order in the law was flesh, which is self-satisfaction, self-ego, self-centeredness, thoughts and behavior that's centered on you, then the new order in Christ is to live in freedom, And understanding that all things, our conduct, our thoughts, must be motivated by love. A love for God and a love for our neighbor. In Romans 13, 8-10, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. See, all of these things are the obvious ways of the flesh that I mentioned earlier. But it goes on to say, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. So when it says at the end of Galatians 5.23, against such things there is no law, Paul is not saying that those nine virtues, love, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness. He's not saying that those virtues are forbidden by the law. He's saying that when these virtues are evident and it shows and it bears fruit in our lives, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and working in us, we are already in a sphere in which the law has nothing to do. It no longer applies. I love the message um, here. Um, I don't usually read the message very much, but it's worded really well here. Eugene Peterson writes that, but what happens when we give, live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way. This is Galatians, the same passages, by the way. The way the fruit appears in an orchard, things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things in people. And listen here, we find ourselves involved in loyal co- commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. See, we are transformed into the sphere of living a life motivated by love. If our thoughts and our actions, if our lives were motivated by love, then self-control can only naturally be the fruit of that. I am no longer bound to love my sister only by hugging her for 10 minutes. I can have self-control because I love her. I control my words and the way that I speak to her because if I say certain things I know I'll trigger her to be angry. I know that if I dig at a certain area that she'll be hurt. I know that if I behave in a certain way, it'll irritate her and annoy her. And at the time, this is an elementary way of, and a really simple way of um, illustrating this, but it makes sense. Because I love her, the hug is not necessary. The law, the rule that my mother set no is no longer necessary. Yes, I can, I can hug her, but I'm not bound to do it. I'm not forced by a time clock that says 10 minutes. S.H. Hook wrote in Christianity in the Making, a vine does not produce grapes by an act of parliament. They are a fruit of the vine's own life, so the conduct that conforms to the standard of the kingdom is not produced by any demand, not even God's. But it is a fruit of that divine nature which God gives as a result of what he has done in and by Christ. In 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13, it says that, yes, we have freedom, but we need to have self-control for the sake of others, because we love them. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone... For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? And this passage is not about food, about a diet, about being vegan. It's about your rights being worked out and practiced may cause your brother or your sister and your neighbor that you love about stumbling in their walk with Christ. And you are... Controlling that for their sake. You're controlling that because you love them. Self-control because I am aware of you. Because I care about how you are with Christ and your faith. So what does this mean for me then? It definitely doesn't mean that we are free from all fleshly desires If that's the case, we wouldn't have temptations. We wouldn't have trials. We wouldn't have difficulty um, beating our flesh so that it obeys. We still have our old habits. If we aren't awake, we can slip back into our old ways or even be deceived like the Galatians that we can work our way through them. We can, without knowing, give that same message to those who might be new to the faith or might be considering becoming a Christian. And so they're so turned off by your rigidity and your laws and your rules and my rules that I put on myself and other people that they're turned away from Christ. Galatians 2.19 says then, what Paul did every single day. I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have to remind ourselves of the gospel every single day. I had uh, a roommate for a very short time, and she was a very good Christian, by the way, but she used to wake up every morning, And at first, it kind of scared me. And she would point at the mirror and say, die. And I didn't quite understand what she was doing. Like so morbid first thing in the morning. And she explained it to me. Like every single day, she was telling herself that she had to die to herself. That she had to re-crucify all of her sins on the cross so that Christ can live through her. So very funny way to do it, but it works for her. And again, to the truth that we've mentioned every single Sunday for the last nine weeks is that we have to remain in Christ and that truth will not change no matter how many weeks pass, no matter how many series we do. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As the band comes up, I want to challenge all of you as Paul did, were you a little bit surprised when you saw the virtues and then you saw self-control? Were you burdened by it as I was because it reminded you of all of the legalistic ways that maybe the church unfortunately told you that that's how Christian life should be? That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what Christ is saying. Christ gave us freedom, but he also gave us the freedom to love, to love in the way that he did. He gave us the Holy Spirit to live a life that will exemplify that love, will guide us in a way that directs other people towards the light, towards Jesus. And if that's the case, that kind of stands out a little bit the soldiers up here from the little children to the two girls to all the way to the adults that were up here, they signed a promise. And some of you chuckled and giggled toward the end when the girls promised that they would uh, not hold back from you know, alcohol and tobacco and stuff. And when I first saw the soldiers' um, promise, uh, when I first became a soldier, I thought that was like, that's so weird. But it makes sense. If you're a Christian and you have the love of God in you, and the Holy Spirit is trying to bear fruit, then you'll do everything possible so that nothing hinders you from sharing the gospel to somebody else. Your life all of a sudden becomes a billboard for Jesus. If you want to pray here today, the altar is always open, but there are people on the side ready to pray with you. If you feel heavy and burdened because of the law that you felt on your shoulders, that's not what Jesus wanted. He said his yoke is light. But this is a challenge for individuals and also for the church. Are we a place of free people living a life motivated by love? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the commitment that we see uh, today from the soldiers, from the new soldiers, God. Help us to be reminded of the gospel every single day, Lord. It doesn't matter how long we've known it. It still needs to be refreshed in us every single day. We still need to crucify our sins and our self-centeredness, our our need to make ourself right onto that cross because there's nothing, absolutely nothing, other than you who can save us, God. God, it seems really confusing at first when we think of self-control and the law and how you give us freedom. But God, there is nothing difficult or confusing about love. So I ask you at this moment for your Holy Spirit to just make it clear in us. Teach us what it means to love in the way that you want us to. Just pour it out on us, Lord. That the idea that we want to inhibit things and conduct ourselves in a way, because we love our brothers and sisters, we love them so much that we are willing to deny ourselves, is so natural. It makes, it makes so much sense. God, you care for us so much that you even came down from heaven. That you freely went onto the cross to die for us. So we ask you for your spirit so that we may do the same. That we may freely choose to obey you. That we may freely choose to exemplify you in this life, Lord. And that we will have victory all of those challenges because you are with us and you are victorious over death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.